Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Monday, February 1st, 2021. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm the senior writer at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film Managing Editor Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. And writer Chris Evangelista. Hello. All right, guys, uh, let's jump into some news. Chris, something very big just uh, hit the the news waves. I don't know. I don't even know what it, the wire hit <laughs> the, the hit news the, waves. I like yeah. that. Let's go with that. <laughs> uh, hit the news wire, uh, you know, seconds before we started recording this episode. Uh, why don't you tell us what's going on in the world of Disney Plus and the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Uh, sure. So uh, Proximity Media, which is a, a company that Ryan Coogler owns with several other people uh, just signed an exclusive five-year TV deal with Disney to develop uh, various TV shows for um, various TV banners. And there's already one in the works and it's a pretty big one. And it's a uh, TV show set in the world of Wakanda, which is of course the, the, the country from Ryan Coogler's black Panther. And of course, Ryan Coogler is also directing uh, black Panther too for, for Disney. And uh, in addition to that, um, we don't really have specific details, but uh, in in the press release, Ryan Coogler mentions that he's working on um, select MCU shows. So it sounds like he's not just working on a, a Black Panther spinoff TV series. He's working on various MCU shows for Disney and Disney+. Plus. Huh. Okay. So, uh, Chris, what is your gut reaction to this? Because uh, I think you seemed in our Slack anyway, uh, slightly, um, uh, torn, I think. Right. So I, I love Ryan Coogler. I'm, I'm happy for all the success Ryan Coogler can get. And when I saw the, the, the term exclusive, my knee jerk reaction was like, Oh no, I don't want Ryan Coogler to only be working with Disney for, you know, the next five years, but this deal is only for TV stuff. So it it does sound like if Ryan Cooler wants to go off and direct a, a non MCU, non Disney movie, he can do that. I don't know if he will. I, I hope he will just because, you know, he hasn't really done a lot since black Panther. You know, I mean, he's, he's been producing, but he hasn't directed anything in a while. And uh, I'm such a fan of his, his filmmaking. I would love to see him, 
get back to making non-Disney stuff. You know, don't get mm-hmm. me wrong. I'm, I'm looking forward to Black Panther too, but I really would love if he, you know, started making non, non-Disney, non-Marvel stuff as well. Yeah. Jacob, what do you make of this? Yeah, uh, Coogler's the real deal. As we saw in Black Panther and the Creed movies in Fruitvale Station. And if having a Disney TV deal means him having, you know, even a semblance of more control over Marvel stuff, that's great for Marvel. And if having this Disney deal gives him the, the money and power to do what he wants elsewhere, even better. Um, I am all for Ryan Coogler being given all the money, time, and materials he needs to make whatever he wants. And if he wants to work more in Marvel, great. And if this gives him the ability to turn around and make the next Fruitvale station or the or next, you know, passion project. I really hope that's what comes of this. Yep. I'm right there on the same page with both of you. Uh, so let's go to our next story, which is a Cloverfield sequel is finally in the works. Um, obviously there have been multiple Cloverfield movies. Uh, we had 10 Cloverfield lane as a follow-up to the original film. And then, uh, the Cloverfield paradox, which was dropped on Netflix and a surprise drop, uh, right after the Super Bowl a few years ago. Uh, but we have not actually seen Cloverfield 2 materialize yet, despite the fact that uh, talks of a potential sequel were happening as early as the month that the original movie came out. So um, this is something that fans of this this Cloverfield universe have been waiting a very, very long time, more than a decade, to uh, potentially see. And now Paramount Pictures and Bad Robot have hired uh, British screenwriter Joe Barton to write the script uh, for this Cloverfield sequel. And J.J. Abrams is going to be returning to produce this movie. Um, Interesting thing here, Matt Reeves, who uh, directed the original film, is not involved at all in this follow-up. So that's kind of fascinating. Um, And we also know that this movie will not be using the found footage format uh, like the first film did. So... The plot details are being kept under wraps. Um, It seems likely that there are going to be a ton of references to those sort of in-universe companies and products and things like that. Um, Slusho and Bold Futura and all these different uh, sort of, you know, Easter egg type of um, materials that have been, you know, popping up in in these other Cloverfield movies. But um, yeah, it's kind of fascinating that that Matt Reeves is not going to be involved at all because he for years and years was talking about like, Oh, you know, they had so much fun making the movie and there were all these uh, possibilities that, that he and um, Drew Goddard who wrote the original film had in mind for a sequel. At one point, I think they were talking about making another movie about um, like a different group of people uh, on that same night that that monster showed up in the first movie and, and sort of, um, doing sort of not, not quite a split screen kind of thing, but like a split screen kind of story where like you have, you know, a different group of protagonists, maybe crossing paths or something with, uh, with that first group. Um, but it seems like that is off the table now and they're going to be doing something totally different. Um, Joe Barton is the showrunner of HBO Max's the Batman TV spinoff, which weirdly Matt Reeves is working on, I think, uh, in, in some capacity, I, I believe as an executive producer or something. So, um, yeah, some weird connections there, but, uh, Jacob, I'll throw to you first. What do you think about, uh, a Cloverfield two finally happening all these years later? It's an act of cowardice, Ben. I was all for the strange Cloverfield universe of films with the loosest bears connections, all bearing the name using a franchise as a thinly veiled excuse to try experiments. I mean, Cloverfield Paradox is terrible. It's a genuinely bad movie. Uh, but Ten Cloverfield Lane is great. It's better than the original Cloverfield. And I'm going to miss that anthology approach, the idea that trying to build a franchise around each movie being different is such a strange, bold swing. 
and one that Cloverfield Paradox really screwed over by being such a piece of crap. Uh, but at the same time, I like Cloverfield. I like giant monster movies. Maybe it'll be good. I, I, I'm not going to condemn it yet, but I will say that the grand experiment that made Cloverfield so appealing to me is no longer here. Yeah, I think that's right. I think, you know, I think it's fair to point to the really um, like lackluster reaction of the Cloverfield Paradox as like the the reason that this is finally happening. I think if that movie had become, you know, a Netflix sensation um, and I think you would be seeing that experiment you were talking about continue. But uh, Chris, what do you think about this? Are you uh, interested at all in a Cloverfield 2? You know, I'm, I'm right there with Jacob. I, I really liked that idea where Cloverfield was going to become like its own universe that didn't have direct sequels. And I, I, I wish they had stuck with that because 10 Cloverfield Lane was a lot of fun. I know there was a lot of talk of Overlord kind of being a, a Cloverfield movie, then it didn't end up being that. And I kind of wish they had made it that just to keep mm-hmm. that, you know, that loose thread going because yeah, Cloverfield Paradox was, was awful, but I feel like you could still have a lot of fun with this idea. And I don't really know how you make a direct sequel to that first movie. I mean, is, is it like, you know, having it set on the same night just seems pointless to me and having it set after also seems kind of pointless. Like, Oh, we're, we're cleaning up the rubble. Like, I don't, you know, I just, I'd, I really like the idea of it being its own thing that, that launches these like twilight zone, like movies. And, uh, I guess they're just, you know, that's just no longer happening. And so it goes. Yeah. What is the pitch for Cloverfield too? Like, I, I think you're right. I think there's the ship has sailed on telling a story that happened on that same night. So like decades later or a decade later or something, like maybe more creatures fall from the sky and it, it becomes, you know, the typical Hollywood, like bigger and more approach of like, Oh, now there are two giant monsters. I, I don't know. Also, like, <laughs> I, 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 I loathe the idea of like them explaining stuff. Like part of the fun of that first Clearville movie, and I use fun in quotes. Cause I kind of think, the first Cloverfield movie is is really <laughs> depressing when you sort of think it's it's literally a movie about like if you hang out with your friends long enough you will all die horrible deaths. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, what I loved about that movie was that like it didn't really tell you why this was happening. Like yes, you could play those those viral games or follow the viral marketing, which sort of vaguely mentioned you know like oil rigs and stuff like that, and you could mm-hmm. sort of put the pieces together. And I I loved that stuff, but I liked that the movie itself wasn't like, all right, here is why this monster is here. And, you know, I I just like that it was all vague. And I feel like if you make a sequel, you're going to have to explain why. And that's going to like rob the first movie of a lot of its power. It was like, you know, I I love that first movie, but I think it works because it's so mysterious. It works because it feels like it's like a random act. It's like an act of God in a way. Like these people are just hanging out being New York hipsters. And then you know, literally they're attacked by a monster. And that's, that's, that's horrifying when you don't give a reason. And the minute you start explaining why that monster is there, it loses the power. That's what I think. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I I will say there's some great imagery in that first movie. And so hopefully maybe a sequel will be able to sort of one up that and, and, or at least uh, equal that and create some more sort of lasting. I mean, that, that image of like the Statue of Liberty's head rolling down the street is like, so striking to me i i mean i remember exactly what it looks like and and i I don't think about it often but it's just you know it's one of those um those great movie moments i think so um hopefully this the sequel will be be able to uh maybe recapture that or or be able to top that in some way so ben uh, can i pitch you on my cloverfield 2 idea oh i would love to hear this yeah i want a movie that's set on the guard station on the wall that surrounds the island that was once manhattan 
or they observe the monsters inside and just main and just keep it inside. Uh, and it's just a story about the day-to-day lives of the soldiers and diplomats and janitors who work the wall and make sure the wall is maintained while the monsters all lurk inside. That's that's my that's my dream Glorfield sequel. Barely any monsters, just people working out the wall, thinking, man, our job's really terrifying, isn't it? So you want Cloverfield colon NYC Zoo? Yeah, that's, exactly that's a... exactly what I want. I want <laughs> I don't want any mayhem. I just want people living in constant fear as they looked over the wall while all on patrol saying, man, this thing happened 12 years ago. And remember when Manhattan was a thing? That's what I want, Ben. <laughs> that actually sounds like a, a really interesting comic. I don't know. Uh, the, the whole um, zero mayhem component of your pitch there <laughs> might not be the best thing for a big budget movie, Jacob. But I'm like, uh, I'm like 35% joking. But I do think the ending <laughs> of the movie is they occasionally send in like scouting parties to find artifacts from old New York. And one of them comes back with a, a video camera he found in, uh, in Central Park. And that's how we get the footage from the first one. Yeah, yeah. There I we mean, go. I'm... Call me, studios. <laughs> All right, let's move on to our next story, which involves a Buck Rogers reboot and some casting for that. Chris, tell me tell me what's going on there. Uh, yeah, so Hollywood has been trying to do something with with Buck Rogers, which is a character that first appeared in 1928 for a few years now. Uh, there was talk of a movie. And then late last year, we learned that uh, there was a, a new TV series in the work with Brian K. Vaughn, who wrote, you know, Saga and Paper Girls and a bunch of other uh, widely acclaimed, beloved comics was, was handling the script. And now we've learned that uh, George Clooney is producing and very likely to star in the series, which is kind of interesting. The idea of him, you know, returning to TV, you know, obviously he got his, his start in TV, uh, he did a bunch of like guest spots on things. And then ER is what made him kind of like a big star. And it's kind of interesting to see him return to TV for something like this. Uh, we don't really know where the show's going to end up. Uh, you know, my guess is it will obviously be like a streaming service. But beyond that, yeah, George Clooney, Buck Rogers. This is kind of interesting to me because I feel like Buck Rogers was an influence on um, like Johnny Quest. And I always thought that George Clooney would be a great race Bannon in a Johnny Quest movie. Um, yeah. So I wonder what the if there's any sort of like, you know, uh, more direct connection than that. Or if anybody else, you know, involved with this production was maybe thinking the same thing. But um, Jacob, what do you think about Clooney as Buck Rogers? Do you have any relationship with the Buck Rogers character at all? I, I don't think I've ever read any of those comics or, or seen any of those movies or serials or anything. Thing. I actually have a large coffee table hardcover of a lot of the old early uh, <laughs> comics, and they're fine. I mean, they're very, very dated. Uh, but the concept of you know this, I guess my whole thing is what's special about Buck Rogers in 2021 is that the aesthetic of the character, this very old fashioned view of the future, is what's appealing. So I hope that the the gist here is not oh Buck Rogers plus holograms and touchscreens. I want Buck Rogers and, and like you know gas powered spaceships and like typewriters and old fashioned ray guns. I want George Clooney wearing that wearing like what someone in the twenties through the fifties thought the future looked like. Oh, I don't yeah. see the, I do not see the appeal of Buck Rogers if you just make him another sci fi hero. But if you make it a retro throwback with George Clooney playing the the, the literal pulp hero that he has the jaw to have been born to play, that's why I want a Buck Rogers movie and. Brian K. Vaughn's an incredible writer, and I, I just hope that he has a pitch that's that's interesting to me as that is. Yeah, yeah, man, that sounds really cool. I'm, <laughs> I'm excited about that idea just based on your your brief description of it there alone. Like the production design and the costuming would be fantastic if they decided to do that whole retro futuristic uh, approach. So we'll have to see what happens there, and hopefully it'll be a little bit more um, memorable and and meaningful than. Um, 
Catch-22, which was the recent time, I think in 2019, that George Clooney decided to, to you know, drop back into television, which like, I don't think I've ever talked to anyone who's seen that show. I, or... I completely forgot about that. And I wrote up like several pieces about it and I 100% forgot that was a thing. Well, yeah, uh, you and everyone else, I guess. So, <laughs> um, All right, let's move to our next story, which uh, involves Ryan Reynolds potentially revealing a, a plot or at least an old plot for Deadpool 3. Uh, Jacob, why don't you t- take the helm on this one? Yes, it's a very strange thing. And one that we we talked about whether to write it up or not, because you weren't sure if Ryan Reynolds was, was BSing or not. But he was trying to raise awareness for Bell Let's Talk, which is I'm going to quote our article, a wide-reaching multi-year program designed to break the silence and stigma around mental illness and support mental health across Canada. And he, Ryan Reynolds, being a proud Canadian, uh, was trying to bring attention to a worthy hashtag. Uh, and so in order to make sure this hashtag was spread as far as possible, he embedded some Deadpool 3 <laughs> news in it, which at first we weren't sure. Is he joking? And w- I genuinely think that based on the way Ryan Reynolds uses social media, he, he's he's being honest and genuinely thought this is the best way to spread a, a, a noble and worthy hashtag. So here we are discussing this, this Deadpool 3 tidbit. He reveals that before Disney bought Fox, I'm quoting him now. Deadpool 3 was going to be a road trip between Deadpool and Logan, Rashomon style, for real. And there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, one being, this is no longer the case. We know Deadpool 3 is being written right now uh, uh, as part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe uh, to be released as an R-rated film, but somehow connected to the very otherwise squeaky clean MCU. Uh, but we also know that Hugh Jackman retired from playing Wolverine after the film Logan. So this suggests that Ryan Reynolds had behind the scenes had talked Hugh Jackman into doing one more go, a buddy road trip movie with, with two characters who are, other than both being immune to bullets and being able to heal very fast, have nothing in common and probably would hate each other if they were stuck in a car. <laughs> and of course, the Rashomon style refers to the uh, Akira Kurosawa film, which depicts a, a, a crime, a moment of violence from several points of view, each one contradicting each other and leaves you not knowing what is the truth. And it's one of the great films of all time, and it becomes a shorthand for that kind of cinematic style. Everybody rips, rips off occasionally. I feel like every drama series in the 90s had a Rashomon-style episode. Uh, but the idea of a road trip movie between these two characters, where each of their perspectives are told, and each one is different, it certainly is a big swing, especially after I think Deadpool 2 was a big swing after the events of the first film. And I like Deadpool 1 and 2, and I would have liked to have seen this. It's something like a goofy, fun idea. Uh, but it's also not happening. So I guess, uh, Ben, uh, you're not high on Deadpool, but does, does this sound appealing to you at all? Um, it does just because of the the Hugh Jackman of it all. Um, I think the reason that I don't like the Deadpool movies is, I mean, I, I, it's tough because I like Ryan Reynolds as an actor. I, I think when he does that whole like, you know, smarmy, sarcastic thing, like he is one of the best people in the world at doing that. Um, it just Deadpool is just, it, it ramps that up to a level that I find sort of um, like untenable and grating to me personally. Um, I also think it it is like so self-satisfied and both of those movies think they're way funnier than they actually are. Um, but I think introducing Hugh Jackman into that uh, mix would be a, a much needed, um, you know, sort of dethroning of Deadpool as this main character, which I feel like he's much better in small doses or as a supporting role than you know, the, the main focus who's constantly on screen and constantly having to, um, you know, appeal to uh, the, the audience in that specific way. So 
I had to look up the timeline on this and like Logan came out in 2017. The, the Fox Disney deal happened in 2019. So, you know, the, the, like you said, like the Hugh Jackman had long since retired the character at this point. And I just wonder what that would have been like, because, you know, we talked about this so much uh, around the time of Logan, but like so much of the power of that movie is knowing that, okay, this is it for Hugh Jackman. And like, this is how that character walks away and seeing him return to that role, even if it took place before the events of Logan, I think would be, um, (laughs) I don't know. I mean, I think it would make a a better uh, Deadpool three movie, but I also think it would rob that movie of some of its power. But um, Chris, I think you're a little bit more mixed on the, on the Deadpool stuff than I am. Uh, What do you think about this? Uh, I hate the first Deadpool. I hate it. (laughs) I liked, uh, explicitly, I liked the sequel uh, somehow. So, um, I, I'm not exactly uh, jumping up and down for more Deadpool. And I honestly do not like this idea at all. Just because, like you said, I, I feel like Logan wrapped that character up so well. And Logan is is such a serious movie. And to have, like, then Logan in a car cracking jokes with Deadpool, it's like, that sounds awful to me. So, and I kind of always liked, you know the running joke in Deadpool that Deadpool is always trying to kind of hang out Wolverine and he never does. So I kind of like that as a running gag and to like, have it, have them suddenly be together and hanging out in this in a road trip just does not appeal to me at all. But I know a million people are screaming at me right now because <laughs> people fucking love this idea and they make fan art of it and it'll never end. So I'm, I'm sorry people who love this idea. It's just not for me. What if the final reveal of this idea is that Deadpool ruins Logan's life so badly that he becomes the Logan we meet in Logan? I mean, maybe I could, I could maybe accept that. But that also robs Logan of a lot of its power too. The the, the whole reason he's just a miserable drunk is because he went on a road trip with Deadpool. (laughs) Yeah, that would certainly reframe things in in an interesting way. I don't know if it would be ideal, but it would certainly be interesting. Um, Okay, so let's talk a little bit about uh, these dueling GameStop movies that are in the works. This, uh, I I mean, you know, Hollywood never ceases to amaze me, guys. Um, If you've been paying attention to real world news, you probably know a little bit about this, the uh, chaos in Wall Street that's going on and and attached to this uh, GameStop stock price and how Redditor's... uh, you know, there are a million explainers you can read about the situation, and I'm not even going to pretend to be able to understand the exact ins and outs of all of it. But uh, in any case, Ben Mesrick, who wrote uh, a book that uh, The Social Network was based on, uh, actually just sold a book proposal for a book called The Anti-Social Network that is going to be about this whole scenario, this whole Reddit, GameStop, Wall Street thing that is very much ongoing and and still you know playing out in real time, like even as we're talking about this right now. Uh, MGM has picked up the rights to this book proposal and are looking to make the anti-social network into a movie. So um, it sounds like we're getting at least one GameStop movie. And then like, so we published that article this morning. And then later this morning, uh, we learned that Netflix has their own version of a GameStop film in the works. Um, This one actually has talent attached to it. Uh, Noah Centineo from To All the Boys I've Loved Before is attached to Star. 
And Oscar-winning screenwriter Mark Bowl is going to be writing the script for Netflix's untitled version of this story. And in the, the details, it sounds like um, Netflix's version is going to use this GameStop scenario as a way to shine a light on the phenomenon of how social media has leveled the playing field and allowed the masses to challenge status quo gatekeepers for good and bad. So this GameStop thing sounds like just a small section of a larger tapestry that this Netflix movie is going to be sort of crafting here. Um, and it, it, the uh, Deadline article that sort of broke this news talks about how uh, this movie will also include um, or, or touch on the idea of the social media spread of unfounded election rigging charges and the whole, you know, Trump claiming that the election was stolen and, and leading to the storming of the Capitol and all of that kind of stuff. So uh, this sounds like a more wide ranging, uh, ranging movie than um, the anti-social network. But uh, yes, Hollywood is, is wasting no time in, you know, jumping right on this uh, GameStop bandwagon, as it were. So um, Chris, what do you think about, are you going to be like, you know, oh, uh, 2022, you know, you've been vaccinated, you're, you're all good. <laughs> like, you know, theaters are, are wide back open again. Are you going to be first in line to see uh, both of these GameStop movies? Ah, uh, no, I'm not. Um, I just, <laughs> I look, I, I agree this, this whole story, uh, the true story is interesting and I would love like an in-depth podcast or a really well-made documentary about it. I just don't know how you, you create like a feature film about this. Like I don't want to watch some movie where Noah Centineo is like some shitty Reddit shit poster. And he's like, ah, I'm going to get rich. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to watch that movie. Like I just don't care. But you know, but you know, I don't want to prejudge it for all I, you know, for all I know, this will turn out to be great. I remember when they first announced the social network movie and all they were saying basically was that it was a movie about Facebook. And my initial thought was, wow, that sounds stupid. And then it turned out to be a fantastic film. So I will, I'll give it, I'll give these things a chance when, and if they arrive, I personally think at least one of them is going to get canceled before it even gets off the ground. Just because as as fascinating as we find this story right now, in a year, I really don't think people are going to care about it as much. So I wouldn't be surprised if one of these, you know, ends up cut. Yeah, it's going to be how like everything. There were so many Tiger King related projects that were greenlit, like right in the, the heat of that moment. Um, and yeah, who knows uh, how many of those are actually going to see the light of day. Um, Jacob, what do you make of all this? GameStop stuff, not not the real life uh, nonsense, but the uh, the movie versions here in the works. Let me give you my pitch on this, man. <laughs> okay, there's a wall around New York, Manhattan, <laughs> <laughs> and the monsters are on Reddit, right? <laughs> uh, actually, the, the, the twist is the Wall Street people are the actual monsters. <laughs> but, um, uh, but that's uh, I think this is all very silly. Uh, my whole thing is that occasionally you get a concept like this that works as a film. I think the big short kind of pulled off by going super meta in its presentation. And the social network is, is this once in a blue moon miracle of a movie. I just don't understand how this is a movie, how this is a non-documentary uh, because you're dealing with a Reddit community that has 2.3 million members where you, you really can't sum up that community in like a handful of characters because mm -hmm. it's not just shitty Redditors or it's not just all noble heroes fighting the man. It's literally this mixture of of movements that you can't that i don't know how you make that 
fair, interesting, or complex in a, in a two hour movie. I don't. I, that, this, this is this is gonna be a great book. I'm looking. Mesrich is actually a really good writer. I will read the Antisocial Network. Um, I do not know how, right now how this is even remotely a a a, a, a movie of. <laughs> Because it's shitty Wall Street people versus a, a, a movement of people that, quite frankly, I it's impossible to pin down in the way that a film script would have to pin it down. That's my take on this. Yeah, and Deadline's report also says that there are, quote, several potential rival projects mobilizing to tell the story. So it sounds like there's the possibility that even more of these movies are going to be at least announced, uh, if not actually completed. So we'll have to see and, and keep an eye on whether or not any of these actually make it to the finish line. So uh, let's move to our final story of the day, which involves a Frasier revival. Um, Chris, I... I this sounded familiar to me, and I looked this up, and we actually talked about this on the podcast in 2018. Uh, you wrote an article about about a Frasier revival back then, but it seems like you know three years later, it's finally maybe happening. That's right. I'm still on the Frasier beat, Ben. I've been <laughs> I've been digging this story since 2018. Uh, back in 2018, the story going around was that Kelsey Grammer, who of course played Frasier was meeting with writers for a potential Frasier revival. And it just never really came together. But now there are talks about it yet again. Um, and this one is being uh, aimed at uh, Paramount Plus, which is the, the latest streaming service, which is coming from Paramount. And uh, there aren't a lot of details right now. It's still very early talks. Um, back in 2018, the story was that the, the revival would only feature Frasier as a character. It wouldn't feature, you know, Niles and Roz and all those other characters. And the story was basically going to be Frasier moves to a new city and gets a new job and, and the, the revival picks up from there. Um, it's not clear if that's what's going on with this one. Uh, the variety, variety who broke the story, they reported that uh, one thing that could get in the way is everyone involved, you know, if they brought them back, they'd want a lot more money now than they got back on the first run because Frasier is, is a tested property. Now it's a hit show and obviously everyone's going to want more money if they're being asked to return. So that could play a factor and we could end up getting that idea where it's just Frasier on his own, which sounds really stupid to me, but what do I know? But uh, yeah, that, that's where we are right now. There's, there's nothing concrete. Nothing is signed yet. There's no, you know, script anyone's looking at. It's just an idea that's being batted around, but I wouldn't be surprised if it happens just because Paramount plus wants content, they want new buzzy titles to draw in subscribers, especially now when everyone has their own streaming service. And I suspect this, uh, this idea for a revival is even more um, viable now that we're, you know, still in the middle of a pandemic and so many people have been inside over the past year and just like watching old favorites over and over again. Jacob, what's your relationship like with Frasier? It seems like a show that you would have revisited during the pandemic. Well, before I get to that, I'll say that this uh, show, should it ever get made, should take place with Frasier in a walled off Manhattan. <laughs> 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 okay, but uh, for real, uh, Frasier's really good. I have not revisited it during the pandemic, uh, but if the plan is still like, Frasier goes solo show uh, F that noise. That show was one of the best ensembles in sitcom history without the supporting cast. Who cares? Like really, really who cares? Frasier is nothing without a supporting cast. And the fact that not, not all the original cast are still with us makes that a huge problem. If the, if they get everybody back, I will at least check it out. That's how I feel about this. Frasier really is, is one of those great, like classically great sitcoms. And 
I, I guess my whole thing is looking at Paramount Plus. I've made frequent fun of their ads where they have whatever random characters they can cobble together. Um, it's like it's like if it makes me genuinely sad to see Anson Anson Mount's uh, Captain Pike from the Star Trek new, new Star Trek shows walking up a mountain alongside Dora the Explorer and the guys from Jersey Shore because that's literally all Paramount Plus has. Uh, so with that, seeing those ads convinces me that. If it's if money is the obstacle to getting everybody back for a Frasier reboot, Paramount's going to pay it, um, and I and I will probably watch this if they pay that money. So well done, Paramount Plus. That's how you get me to subscribe to a stupid service. Do you guys hear that noise? I think it's the blues of Colin toss salad and scrambled eggs. I, th- I think I hear that just off in the distance there. So yeah, I thought you were uh, <laughs> they're going to play out a real audio problem. I was like, uh oh, <laughs> like, are, are my dogs barking? Are they, are they ruining? Are they ruining this? We have to record the whole show all over. Uh, they're both the wall of a neighborhood. There are monsters rampaging. So. <laughs> All right. I think that's going to bring us to the end of today's episode of Slash Film Daily. You can find all of the stories that we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com and linked inside the show notes of this episode. We have Sundance coverage going on right now. Uh, there are actually like tickets available, I think, for for people to... Uh, watch Sundance movies. There, there may not be, you know, every single screening may not still be sold out. So you can, uh, I know that, that some like drop off and become available right before the start time. So if you're interested in catching up with any of the Sundance stuff, I would encourage you to, to visit their website and see if you can uh, catch up with any of that because we have a ton of reviews on the site right now and still more forthcoming in the, in the days ahead. Um, so check that stuff out too. Uh, Slash Film Daily is published every weekday, bringing the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all of the popular podcast apps, and send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, mailbag topics, uh, anything like that to us at peter at slashfilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast on uh, Apple Podcasts or iTunes. Uh, Tell your friends about the show. Spread the word any way you can. Thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you all tomorrow. Baseball fans, BetMGM is giving you the chance to win a prize every day during the baseball season. Step into the batter's box for BetMGM Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. Pick any area of the strike zone and take your best swing. If you get a single, double, triple, or home run, you'll receive a prize. Smash a home run to collect a bonus bet on us. Just log into your BetMGM Sports account to get started. Then visit your promotion section to access the Swing for the Fences free-to-play game. You'll score a prize if you hit a single, double, triple, or home run. There's nothing more exciting than going yard. So swing for the fences with the king of sportsbooks. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. Must be 21 plus and present in Ohio. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards vary depending on the market and expire 24 hours from issuance. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER and partnership with MGM Northfield Park.